Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network, where we take a closer look each week at the wide, weird, and wonderful world of running. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Now, before we launched this Off the Couch podcast, it was kind of a dream of mine to have our guest today on the show at some point. Because as we say at the top of the program each week, this podcast is dedicated to the wide world of running. And sometimes I think some of us fall into the trap of thinking about this sport of running a bit too narrowly. But fortunately for us, today's guest is really good, I think, at disabusing anyone of thinking small because mostly what he does is blow minds wide open. Dom D. Tommaso, a.k.a. Dom Tomato or Dom Tomato if you say it in a smoother way like Dom does, Dom is a free runner. And he is also someone who is, as you'll hear me try to make the case for in this conversation, one of the best athletes in the world. To be clear, that is not Dom's claim about himself, but it is my claim, and I still don't think I'm wrong. And now I am even going to point you toward a ton of evidence, because Dom is also the guy behind my favorite Instagram page and YouTube channel in the world. And so if you somehow are not familiar with Dom Tomato, then honestly, we are about to give you the greatest quarantine gift imaginable. So here's what I suggest you do. As you listen to this conversation, go to at Dom Tomato or Dom Tomato on Instagram or Dom Tomato on YouTube and prepare to get sucked in for the next hour or two. What Dom does is mind bending. And what makes it all even better is that he has a phenomenal story and he's really good at telling it too. So I don't wanna to present too many spoilers up front here, but just know that you are about to hear the fascinating background of one of the most dynamic athletes on the planet. Dom and I talk about the free running community and some similarities it shares with the long distance running community. We hear Dom talk about his training and focus and his injury history and how he avoids dying doing the stuff he does and a whole lot more. I love this conversation. I am excited for you to hear it. And so, ladies and gentlemen, here is the one and only Dom Tomato. Well, Dom, uh, how are you today and where are you today? Oh, uh, I am very good today. I've only, you know, woken up recently, so it's, it's hard to have a, <laughs> a negative from there. Um, I'm in Sydney, Australia, which is my hometown. Uh, we're currently on social distancing laws here, so not lockdown. So we're still able to go out and exercise and get groceries and do the essential things. But um, the general vibe of the world right now is uh, very paced back, very uh, yeah. you know, less things going on, less things happening. Um, personally, it's not really uh, you know soul crushing me or anything like that because if I have the ability to train and the spare time to hang out with my partner more, those are all benefits for me. So I <laughs> can't, yeah. can't really complain. But, um, you know, there is a very serious pandemic and everyone needs to be taking the the utmost precautions and steps to kind of for the for the betterment of everyone as opposed to just, you know, worrying about yourself in the situation. Yeah. How are things, by the way, in Sydney right now? I mean, does it, 
give us your sense of things. My, my sense of things is that a lot of people have taken the appropriate steps and isolated themselves and, you know, been able to do that. Um, the city itself still has a lot more businesses running than I would have expected when we first heard about it. Um, you know, there's a lot of coffee shops, um, cafes still open, but they're all doing takeaway service or uh, out of out of shop kind of stuff. But the general the general mood of the city isn't uh, it doesn't feel down. It just feels quiet. Like we don't re- I, I like from what I'm getting from the, the gauge of Sydney is that. You know, if, if you see someone on the street, the interactions are, are more polite, they're more open because they haven't seen maybe someone in a while or haven't spoken to somebody as regularly. So there is that kind of uh, wider community aspect that uh, is, is felt around, especially around my areas. And were you raised in Sydney, like born and raised? I wasn't born and raised. I came here when I was 13. So I came here from Brisbane, which is like one state over. Um, and I grew up there, which is, I guess, more stereotypically Australian. You know, you've got your, your short shorts, your thongs, your g'day, your barbecues, you know, um, hanging out in the sunshine in the backyard. And then, uh, Sydney's a bit more hustle bustle kind of, it's almost like a London Australia. So it's still pretty relaxed, but it's got more of a London vibe to it. More of a CBD busy central peak area of like lots and lots and lots of people. And, uh, I feel like it's the place to, uh, to get things done business wise in in uh in australia you've got melbourne which is kind of our art capital and then brisbane which is like still a very major city with a lot of prospects but it keep it's almost like a homegrown kind of feel um you know like we it's really australian down there so you stay australian you you do all your things at home um sydney's got a bit more of that uh we think we're part of the overseas group even though we're kind of not we're very very far away (laughs) (laughs) got it so Let's talk a little bit about growing up. I mean, tell me just a bit about, like, what were you into as a kid? Oh, <laughs> I was into figure skating and dancing, funnily enough. Those are the, I grew up doing a lot of, like, different sports. Um, I was a pretty, like, crazy kid, hyperactive kid. So <laughs> my mom tried to <laughs> channel that energy into a lot of different things. And I had an older sister who liked ice skating. So ice skating kind of took the primary chunk of my childhood I was on ice skates from when I was three till 18 um you know at the age of eight we ramped that up to like six days a week uh wow. twice a day for most days um so like my my whole upbringing personally was just very athletic based it was like with that kind of premise of being a world level figure skater so we did sport and nothing but pretty much forever like I would leave school early to go and do training and go to school late and wake up at like 5.30 every morning. Uh, there wasn't much uh, s- social life uh, outside of the rink. Like I did have a huge group of friends that all did ice skating, but outside of that, even at school, I didn't really have like a, a clique or a social circle because of the intensity of the sport, but also just because of the type of person I am. A uh, bit of a outlier in certain senses. I was very annoying when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> Like incredibly annoying. So a lot of people uh, didn't want to get more depthy, uh, spend more time during school. <laughs> huh. Okay. Annoying or focused? No, or annoying. Both? No, definitely annoying. <laughs> I, I only gained focus maybe uh, in my twenties. Um, other than that, it was kind of just running around blind. I mean, when you're when you're at that age, your brain isn't 
fully developed and you're just running <laughs> on true. like, uh, especially during teenage years, just running on chemicals and hormones. Like, what am I doing? Ah, these feelings coming in. So yeah, it's a, uh, but I uh, like, I, I just had a lot of t- trouble kind of when it, when it was school, it was kind of like wanting to fit in too much, like trying too hard to fit in, which is, uh, can be a real dampener on people's kind of <laughs> outlook on yourself. And what, I mean, so it kind of sounds to me, you were, I mean, I think you just said, you were kind of on that, we're we're a bit familiar with sort of that story, right? Like the young kid mm-hmm. who's on track and trying to be like that world-class figure skater, but that's, I mean, you were effectively on that track. I mean, you were kind of the the pro athlete in training from an early age. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like, I don't know how it really happened, but yeah, from from before 10, uh, we were like, okay, this is what we're doing, committed full-time uh, as a family, hmm. as a family unit as well. Mm-hmm. It, it was, I think it was really, really good um, personally for like life lessons and also like thickening the skin and uh, like what it takes work ethic-wise to achieve physically. Because a lot of people think they can train twice a week and they'll they'll progress. But, mm. it's you know, if you want to be a professional at something, if you want to be high level, you really need to apply yourself as much as you can and to like a, you know, an oversaturated schedule. It's interesting, too. I mean, like full disclosure, I mean, I I've been thinking about this a lot and I've been I've been following you for a long time now, you know, on on Instagram and checking out your YouTube page. I mean. I ask myself, I mean, I know this sounds grandiose, but I'm like, Dom is definitely one of the very best athletes in the world. And then I'll be like, well, wait a second. There's a lot of people in the world. Like, you sure? And then I, and I kind of do this debate with myself and I'm like, just look at what you're doing. And I guess I want to kind of start from there and then go back then to my question is like, you, it seems to me, could have excelled at a lot of different sports as a young kid. How did figure skating become, like, the focus? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as saying the best athlete in the world. Um, That's okay. I'll say, it, I'll say it for you, Don. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, I just jump on, on, jump on walls and, <laughs> and, you know, like, I know, I know parkour, but it's like if you threw me in the ring with a professional MMA fighter, I'd get decimated. If you put me up against a professional sprinter, I'd get run circles around like it's it's more specific to the sport itself and even in the sport the illusion of me being incredibly high level is because of the notoriety and the kind of uh raw athleticism to the movements but if you take it down to the technical side i'm still not actually top tier when it comes to like i have knowledge and i have training and experience but there's guys out there who are just incredible when it comes to proficiency and knowledge and understanding of movement Hmm. um so that's just my my personal opinion i wouldn't even i wouldn't even say that i'm near the best but um uh (laughs) i just you know i just like jumping off big shit uh (laughs) but then (laughs) when it comes to figure skating it's um so i think my my mother was very as i said uh decided that she wanted to put us into sport at a very early age uh just to kind of one for me outlet that energy, but two, she did sport growing up and thought it was a good kind of learning thing for the, for the kids. So my sister was doing roller skating. Hmm. And then when I was born, I went onto rollerblades as soon as I could walk. Hmm. Uh, and I remember like one of my earliest memories is doing like a, I don't even know if it was like a kilometer road race with like, you know, 50 other people 
on rollerblades as like a two-year-old, three-year-old, like just getting pushed along and fucking like, you know, the whole time being basically carried, but doing the race. Um, so it was always like a big part of the family thing. And then my sister went to see the junior world figure skating championships when they were in uh, Australia and she fell in love with it as you would as a four-year-old girl who's into kind of the grace of things is like ice skating over sweaty rollerblading and roller skating yes please <laughs> so she moved there and I just followed suit as you know a three-year-old I was like oh I just you know and um from there we did do a bunch of other sports like cross-country running rock climbing basketball um and uh was I say uh, gymnastics. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, when I was doing everything kind of more seriously, and then I started doing gym and ice skating only more seriously. And then my sister went to the Australian championships when she was 11. No, when she was 10 and she, she did pretty well. Um, you know, there's a, there's a high field in, in figure skating and it was her first national championships in Australia. And she got like top 10 or something like that. So it was like, okay. You know, she's gone to the Australian Championships, done pretty well. They, Her and my mum went away and did that and came back. And I apparently said to my mum that night when she got back, like she was tucking me in, and I was like, I'm going to go to the National Championships next year and I'm going to win. Huh. And, uh, yeah, and th- at this point I hadn't even passed, like, the tests to qualify for the level. Like, I was four tests away from doing it. And I kind of just, mum said, like, at that, you know, when things are getting more serious, she's like, do you want to do gym or do you want to do ice skating? Because if you want to do one more seriously then, you know, uh, it's, it's better if you take one full time. Uh, so I, I chose ice skating and over that year I like trained my ass off and, uh, went through just qualified as a reserve to the national championships from the state championships and then won the national championships. You did. Yeah, I did it. So you, you, at the you age made of good, you made good on your prediction. This was like eight year old Dom was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to win and then nine-year-old Dom won and won. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Hell yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm uh, pretty willpower, pretty determined. I think that's more as well what you see with the jumps online. Um, it's that they take a lot more sheer power of will than they do actual uh, skill hmm. of of the parkour practicing side, not skill. of You have to be able to run and jump 100% to be able to do all of them. You know, you have to yeah. be able to do the, the techniques, but it's that they're more kind of mentally straining and that willpower to kind of push through is what I think has been more of the strength than actually the physical skills. (laughs) Interesting. But yeah, so from there I just kept doing figure skating um, till we were 18. I had like a few, you know, brief periods of time off when we moved state and that sort of thing. And uh, I started doing performing arts and ballet full time at 13. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of I was losing my, my passion for figure skating a little bit. Um, kind of split my family apart. So then huh. because of that, I was like half in, half out for a couple of years with ice skating. And then I went back fully in, um, but I'd already discovered what parkour was. So it was like this constant battle between ah. going out and training, which parkour itself is completely free. Uh, it's just with my friends. It's all on my volition. There's no coach telling me what to do. And then ice skating, I had this Russian coach at the time who would rock up at my house at 5.30 if I wasn't on time for skating and literally, like, knock on my door and drive me to the ice rink kind of thing. So um, the strictness of the the sports 
after finding parkour was really the thing that split the divide. I was um, kind of underwhelmed with what the prospects of a professional athlete was, hmm. uh, especially in ice skating. The the kind of end of the, the spectrum is um, you become an Olympian and then from there you either become a coach or a show skater. And this life of a show skater is not very long and Disney on Ice is <laughs> like the level of things you get to do uh, like if you're if you're an Olympic ice skater and then you go into Disney on Ice, you're literally halving the level of things you do, if not more. So you're not getting to perform at your maximum anyway. And that was the thing that appealed to me was the progression, that endless yep. kind of continuation. And that, so with parkour and free running being so broad, I was like, oh, I can get good at this thing and still be shit at this thing, and then go and get good at that thing later. Or I can yep. work on all of these things at once, or I can work on you know specific envelopes. So that it gave it this kind of um, freedom to it which is uh the really big drawing factor it, you know a lot of people and that's why we see a high turnover in the sport of athletes as well is because not a lot of people want to have to do it themselves they want to, want to have to do it from the ground up they want to have you know some sort of instruction or some sort of routine or system to to do it which is what makes parkour and free running really special because there is no set parameters like imagine like a martial art, like karate or something, but there's no levels, there's no belts, there's no sensei. Yep. You just go and do it. Be- before we move off of this kind of past of yours, you talked quite a bit about the the figure skating part, but the ballet part, did you enjoy that? Did you... I, I love movement and dance. So yeah, ballet was great. <laughs> and like, talk to me a little bit about I mean, you were a kid. You're like, I've never really ice skated, but I'm going to go win the national championship. And you did. How how were you as a ballet dancer? <laughs> um, so I was uh, at a performing arts high school, which did all sorts of performing arts. Um, and then they had a special, uh, specialized ballet program. And I went into it for six months because I really enjoyed the dance. I really enjoyed like the, it kind of had that same feel to ice skating but it was a bit more um, structured. So for me, being very unstructured, I was like really enjoying the structure of the dance and, this, uh, and the way it's all set up and the thing. But little did I know that because I was of a certain frame and my arms, arm positions were quite nice because I've been doing ice skating, they were kind of trying to, at the time, a few of them, wanted, like a few of the teachers wanted me to do ballet, like do it full time and become yeah. a ballerina. And I didn't have, again any aspirations in that field it's like you know you're a ballerina for x amount of years and then you become a choreographer or you become a um you know a a coach or a teacher you know it's just one of those things where i didn't see yeah a long-term prospect with it i I love ballet i love dancing but uh just didn't didn't see the uh full-time matching my kind of lifestyle by the way i was thinking about the fact like See if you agree with this or if you have a different answer, but I was wondering like when it comes to actually the like a extremely high level of athleticism, but maybe the lowest level of appreciation of that insane athleticism, I was like, seems like figure skating and ballet might be up there among like the top two or three. Yeah, I, I I would say they're incredibly like physically demanding sports, um, both of them, and they require mobility, strength, flexibility. Like you know, there's there's an aspect. I'd say there is harder. Like gymnastics, I think, is one of the most brutal 
mm-hmm. crazy hard sports that a human can do with their body. Like I didn't make shit in gymnastics, man. I, like, <laughs> did, I, I did like a, like four levels and I was like, you know, where you just kind of, you know, you're, you're not the same league as everyone else that's in that group. Yeah. Like that we went to do some like state qualifiers when I was really young, like eight or seven. And they, everyone else was doing like 20 to 30 pull-ups and I couldn't even do 10, man. I was like, nah, <laughs> I'm not made for this. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm lanky and long. They need to be stocky and powerful because it requires so much force on the body. Yeah. If yeah. you're like, if you have like one weakness, you'll end up injured horrendously. So you need to kind of, yeah, gymnastics, I think is probably the most demanding diving as well. Diving's up there hmm. because if you hit the water, the ramifications are huge. Um, and then of course, to me, the ones that scare me the most are, uh, motocross, BMX, <laughs> um, motocross sports, any, anyone where they even driving, man. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? how are you driving around? So we did, I did a V8 supercar lap with, uh, cause, uh, with, through my sponsorship with Red Bull, they offer these awesome like day trip opportunities. And, um, they took me to the V8 supercars, which is like uh-huh. the Australian formula one, essentially this, yeah. uh, like our version uh, what's what's the american one that they do nascar it's like our nascar i guess yep. and uh yeah they did a lap in that and that was like one of the most terrifying things <laughs> i've ever was like how are you moving that fast and then deciding that you're gonna just full break and turn a corner without flipping your vehicle like i don't know that stuff that stuff completely baffles me when it comes to like the the scariness side or the the physically demanding mentally demanding side huh it's so funny because if in case people have not already done this just go to at dom tomato or dom tomato (laughs) on instagram start looking at any of the posts and then listen to this guy being like man it was really scary in that car (laughs) like (laughs) i i think most people would if they were like had to be like get on a car and go around a track or you know, do a gainer off this, you know, huge platform. I think I know which way most of us would uh, be like, I think we're going to take our, I just think other than like, it's like when you do something every day for a really long time, you know, when you you have a friend and you grow up with them and you don't realize they became six foot five, you're like, Oh, (laughs) when, 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 when were you six foot five? You've always been just, you know, this, you know, because you don't notice the growth. But when you see the final results, so if you know, I see that person on the street and I haven't seen them in 10 years, I'm like, how the hell did you get so tall? Where did that come from? Right? Because there's a big notice and change. Whereas, yeah, so I've been doing parkour for ages. So all that stuff seems normal to me. Haven't driven, haven't yeah. been biked fast, haven't done, you know, like I can, I'm, I'm happy going fast, but it's not the same. I like being in the control seat with my body as opposed to moving parts externally, even like ball sports getting hit with a ball man i can't catch <laughs> i can jump and catch a rail or a wall but that's it's not a round shape you know it's different uh-huh. so right. i think it's it's yeah it's it's more more the fact of just like years and years of training the same thing has made me kind of less scared of that thing but i'm a pussy in very many other ways <laughs> all right um i want to define some terms here yes. so first of all parkour versus free running do you do you use these interchangeably or maybe you do but others do not like how do you think about those two terms <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a very good question for anybody who hasn't done free running before or parkour because for a very long time in the sport probably from when I started till maybe 2013 to 15 
the debate of the term parkour or free running was kind of a thing within the community. Like people Mm. who didn't do flips and acrobatics or kind of that uh, self-expression of movement were doing free running and the people who did efficient jumping, climbing, uh, kind of the old French uh, mentality around it, which was be strong to be useful to use your body in a reach or escape situation. Mm-hmm. They, they, they were kind of like head to head, but that's all kind of dispersed now as we realize that parkour and free running is under one big hub. You can't do free running without doing parkour because the thing that makes free running unique is the interactions with obstacles. Otherwise, you'd be doing tricking or gymnastics or something like that. So you take parkour fundamentals and you put them into free running. Um, So it's kind of a a hybrid version where you're training a whole bunch of skills for the enjoyment of progression, which is kind of the core messages of parkour is to to progress and to be stronger and more aware with your body. Hmm. So now I would say, yes, interchangeable parkour free running. I mean, I've always been on that wave. I was never in the debates. Like people would go, you know, parkour free running and I would write penis. Like there's no (laughs) no difference to that's literally how I would troll that, that old uh, system. But um, yeah, yeah. For me, I think, you know, you can use them however you want. If you want to get specific when it's a bit more flashy and you see kicks and flips and stuff like that, that's what you would in the scene call free running. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, when you see someone, you know, efficiently climbing or jumping between, uh, two rooftops, uh, or like making their way down the side of a building, that's parkour, mm-hmm. but everyone out there just use them as the same thing, please. Cause they are literally the same shit. <laughs> <laughs> Since literally before we launched this podcast off the couch, which we call, you know, like the subtitle, I guess of it is a running podcast. And that's always been kind of one of my interests is kind of expanding what kind of falls under the rubric of quote unquote running. Mm-hmm. Because I, I do think there's probably some people listening to this conversation that are like, wait a minute, we're not talking about someone who just ran a ultra marathon or, you know, <laughs> ultra trail marathon. And it's like, no, there's lots of different things that fall under this rubric of running. And I think like, to me, it just makes it a way less interesting world if running starts to get to mean like just trotting along at long distances, like that's great and it's really hard and there's an incredible mental focus and all of that to it. But it's like, this is actually turns out a really broad world. And um, so thanks for representing sort of the opposite end of the uh, the ultra trail spectrum, I guess. <laughs> if that's yeah, no, of course. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because uh, a lot of the years uh, coming, like coming up, I had a lot of people come up to me and ask like, when you go training, do you just like put on your shoes and leave the house and like hmm. run across the city? And the training style for parkour and free running is quite different. It, it is a lot less cardio based and a lot less power based. But a lot of the practitioners uh, are still, like, uh, cardio-fit athletes. Like, my uh, friend just did his first half marathon, and he's, like, a high-level competitive athlete in the sport. Mm. Um, Because the overall fitness and stamina that you want and to be strong and that kind of core resounding message of progress, it all intertwines into fitness as well. Um, the more you want to succeed or be a, a high level athlete in parkour and free running, the better it is to have a very strong base in athleticism first. 
um, I saw a lot of uh, people who played football as a kid, just like uh, soccer for mm-hmm. you Americans out there. <laughs> and um, and they, uh, they would seem to come in and have this incredible tact for placement, precision, control with their legs hmm. because they'd been running and jumping and kicking from an earlier age. But it is still uh, running. A set, like, you know, it, when we... When, when I put together a line or a combination, it's called a run. Like, uh, you know, we call it a run when you do section to section uh, a piece. And uh, the correct terminology that you can use for a describing a parkour person doing parkour or a free running person is a free runner, which is pretty straightforward. Or the French term that's still held onto and used way less commonly is traceur. Huh. So someone who traces the space. Um and a tracer is uh, like old inner terminology that we'd use, but I think a lot of people out there would still like that to be kind of the the way it is, uh, the way we're represented represented on the uh, on the on the mass media scale. Tracer, tracer, T R A C E U R. So it's a French word. So we shouldn't call you a free runner. Or a free runner, a free runner is fine. A free runner is the number one socially accepted term. <laughs> That's the one to go with. But a tracer is a little bit more for those who want to be niche or you tracer. know, yeah, okay. in depth with their knowledge. <laughs> All right, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna start calling myself that because it sounds like maybe <laughs> it sounds really swap. Right, so right. Why wouldn't you want to be a tracer? Exactly. Right. Um, I want to actually go back. You mentioned oh. oh. Oh, go, please Can go I, ahead. Quickly, I do. I do have an extra point here. My yeah. dad is a marathon runner. Ah, my yeah. So I grew Did, up doing long distance running every weekend, um, and like have a very in depth knowledge of distance running. Um, I've always been on the more cardiovascular side of things when it comes to my side of fitness. Huh. So what does that mean? You grew up doing. Like you grew up. So he, yeah, he, he would, uh, he would be doing running groups, you know, three times a week for like, you know, 10 to half marathons for depending on the group. Um, and so, uh, we would do a lot of distance running with him and every Sunday from the age of like three to probably nine or 10 as well, we did uh, cross country in, uh, Queensland, which was just, you know, from, when I was three, it was like a kilometer. And then I think when I was like five, it was three kilometers. And then when I was uh, nine, I was doing 5K. And even then I was doing like 10 kilometer runs with him, with his running group and stuff on like Friday nights. Um, they do this, uh, there's actually, I don't know if you've ever heard of the 500 kilometer road relay in Australia. And oh. it's done for charity and they get teams of 20 and they run from Queensland to Sydney or Sydney to Queensland. Wow. Yeah, so 500 kilometers, um, just done in 5K legs hmm. for three days, uh, like 2 to 5K, 2 to 7K kind of legs. And uh, I had the opportunity to do that with him once I turned 18. Huh. And that is uh, a really, really cool experience. If you're a runner out there and you want to look up, uh, check out the 500-kilometer road relay uh, Australia. That is uh, – yeah, Nike, I think, puts together a team every year and they absolutely destroy it. <laughs> they, they have the, the financial backing, but the rest of the, the rest of the teams are a bunch of uh, running clubs or a group that's got together from like a, a business or something like that where it's all just put towards charity and they uh, 
all the proceeds go to charity for the event. So all the runners get out there and just run their shit. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit more for the for the running people. If uh, the running audience wanted to to have something to look up, there you go. There you have go. Something from that world. <laughs> so I mean, again, watching the stuff that you post, I'm like, this is the definition of like fast twitch muscle activity. But mm-hmm. are you doing much longer distance cardio training these days? Not anymore. Not yeah. anymore. Um, I I was fortunate enough in my like five, during five, four to five years of my training, I was working full time as a garbage man, uh, running on the back of the truck, throwing bins into, you know, throwing people's rubbish out. Yeah. But that meant that I was running between twelve to twenty k every day, on or like and lifting like five hundred to a thousand bins. So yep. I had the training there because then we would go training uh, in the afternoon on top of that as well. Um, so I had that. Like unequivocally just couldn't get away from the cardio uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no matter what I was doing. So only now that I'm like full-time parkour and free running, I find myself maybe once a week we'll do like a, a session where I'm like doing a longer, less explosive thing and uh, like a flow line for a long time or something like that. But most of the time it's, uh, I don't know, right, right where I am with my training now, it's like I just really enjoy doing really hard, scary things. So like pushing myself and progressing and because I've been pushing and progressing for a long time, the stuff that I'm uh, doing now is seemably crazy, I guess, because I like, <laughs> I talked yes. to uh, one of my, my close friends and he, I was telling him like my ideas for some of the jumps that I have coming up and stuff like that. And he's like, everything you're telling me is in, like not normal. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? And it's, it's like, I think you've just gone too far. I mean, training for too long that you think all of this is like normal, but it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. And I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'm so tempted. I don't know if you would tell us, but I, I want to be a fly on the wall of this conversation you're having with your friend. Cause I'm sure I agree <laughs> with your friend, but like, what can you share? Like one idea that you were throwing out? Um, well, it's, it's hard to specify because they're all kind of, uh, to the certain location. So unless you know the spot, it's, uh-huh. it doesn't seem like as dangerous, but, um, there's a classic, uh, move that's done at IMAX in, uh, London, right at Waterloo station. There's these big blue walls. It's a very, very world renowned spot for parkour and free running. So this move is called a Kong. It's where you put your hands on the wall and then your knees come through. Um, if you've ever seen parkour, it's probably one of the first things you saw in parkour. It's that classic like uh, springing over the wall and your knees come through the center and you go flying off over the wall. Um, so there's one of those with like a, essentially a uh, death drop in the middle. Like if you fall into the gap, you will hurt yourself. And then you've got to travel 15 feet across and about 15 feet down and land on a wall that's, you know, uh, one foot, uh, in width. So there's that move and probably about six or seven people have done that. Maybe 10 now, uh, worldwide have done that, that Kong pre, um, I want to do that move, which is like, you know, epitome of difficulty with those, that particular move. I want to do it with a flip in the middle. So I want to hit my hands on the first wall, do a front flip over and then land on the second wall, like almost 30 foot away. That's my, yeah, yeah. So like, (laughs) um, that's probably the craziest thing I'm thinking about. Um, I've been like, I've been mentally preparing for that jump for like a year and a half so far. So, um, it's cause with parkour, you don't have the same, uh, like 
a skateboarding competition where you work all the way up to it and then you do that one thing and it's a trick that you can do anywhere because it's on the skateboard. Yeah. Um, the parkour stuff is more to the landscape um, and it dictates the movements that you do. And so if we do competitions, like we, we have a season, season of competitions and events, but they're all done at certain locations, specific places. So when you're out training, you're going to find things that are scarier, harder, bigger, because they're not in the constraints of a certain location. Hmm. Uh, so you see, yeah, more crazy shit done when it comes to like risk or yeah. like the, the element of danger being there during people's training because that's when they're fully focused. They've had the chance to go there themselves on their own time and not being yelled at by a coach that they have to do it now or they have to get it done by a certain point. It's all, it's all uh, an internal battle really. Okay. First of all, to back this up, you are now, are you 28 or 29 years old? 27, turning 28 in May. Turning 28 in May. Okay. And you, I mean, you've already said and explained well, this pretty interesting background of yours. I mean, trying to land jumps on a razor thin ice skate again it, it this all kind of makes more sense when i'm looking at you on some of these jumps and it's like how are you landing in exactly that specific little spot and it's like oh well he's kind of been doing that since he was a kid i guess yeah yeah <laughs> um there was a there was a definite advantage to like ankle stability and uh, like general awareness of the the balancing and spinning because of ice skating that, that you know did add uh, a lot of advantages and even the the intensity of how we were doing the sport we were doing personal training and stuff like that before personal training was like a fitted title i remember yeah. going to a strength and conditioning coach because that's what it was back in the day there wasn't a personal trainer he was strength and conditioning coach they didn't have a, a, a title for it um and my mum is a personal trainer who specializes in rehabilitation so i had a huge bank of knowledge around me for just physical betterment, like stretching, uh, mobility, injury recovery, that sort of thing from a very yeah. early age, which really, really helped when I started doing my own sport. And then I started, you know, um, falling over in parkour. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now thinking about climbing a bit, right. And the way things go in climbing is, you know, um, like literally all of climbing. The day you become a climber, you get on something that is a route or a boulder problem that is slightly beyond your reach or ability or really beyond your reach or ability. And then you just you just session that problem or that route like a thousand times until you get it. How does this work when you are trying to progress into a particular stunt if it's not quite the same, right? Like the climber can fall a hundred times on the rope or down onto the bouldering mat. Consequences seem a little different if you're messing up one of these stunts. So how does this yeah. go? So it's groundwork. It's all pre-work. It's all stuff that you don't see before the, like on the YouTube videos, you'll get a bit more of insight. You'll be able to see like, okay, they run and they jump on the ground. And then they run and like when you're doing, say, for example, like with this one I've seen in the UK, I will now go away and in the rest of my training, try to find replicas in a safe area. So a jump that's very similar in dimensions, like the same 
Kong front flip precision, but with less danger, less ramifications, less size, and work the timing, and you drill that until it's 100% safe, 100%, you know you can do that movement in your sleep. And then once it's safer, then you take it up to these higher levels and these higher dangers. And usually at that stage, you only do it once or twice because of the, the risk factor. You're just trying to calm yourself down, be sure of yourself, not be racing with adrenaline, um, and then hit it with the control that you know you've done a thousand times. So it's it's the, that's where the mental push comes in is because you don't get to rehearse certain ones. Uh, you've only got to do, like, you, you have to trust that your body knows what it's doing at that point. Um, if, yeah, so, like, even with just a general jump, you want to do the jump a thousand times. A, a nine-foot jump between two walls a thousand times at uh, ankle level before you take it to knee level. Then you take it to knee level and you're like, okay, cool, do another thousand there. And then you take it up to uh, like nose level. And then suddenly you're doing jumps at nose height at nine foot and it's not scary and it's very safe. And then you can, you know, start to work the parameters, but it's all about doing the fundamental techniques thousands and thousands and thousands of times before taking them to any kind of scale or tough terrain. Hmm. And it's interesting in that respect the analogy starts to feel a little bit more like free soloing in climbing, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I can see the correlation there. You can do 150, you know, different solos to, to get ready. And then once you're out on that mountain, you don't really have a choice. You, you committed, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you hear like Alex Honnold will talk about, he's like, by the time I'm free soloing El Cap, I have gone over every single move. I have the route memorized. There is not, yeah. and it sounds like you're, I mean, it still seems insane though. Like again, <laughs> watching your YouTube and Instagram channel, but like, it sounds like that's what you're describing here. You have tried to memorize and eliminate the kind of, the the element of surprise as it were, by the time you, you go. 100%. You even, you even know, uh, the element of surprise is actually a really good way of putting it. If you can eliminate the element of surprise to yourself. So you even know what's going to happen when you go bad, you, you know how you're going to save yourself, how you're going to come out. If it doesn't like that shouldn't be a factor when you're running up, it shouldn't be a prevalent thought, but it's something that you think about before you do it. You know what I mean? When you're, when you're going, it's all flow state. You should be 100% in the moment. Um, like, personally, I find it easy to click into flow state if I'm doing something scary because mm. I can just do, like, my, you know, I stamp my feet, count down from three, two, one, and I'm I'm zoned. But that's from practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing that specific kind of mindset as well. Let's talk about your injury history. Mm. It's, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't name to you all the injuries that I have had. I don't even know the definitions of some of them. But in saying that... I haven't, I, I have probably one of the highest fall rates in the sport. Like I crash a lot more than most of the professional athletes out there. Hmm. Um, I don't know why I think that's from just generally being a bit more gung ho and also the ability to fall and not hurt myself, which I think comes from ice skating. Mm-hmm. So most of these huge fails that you see online, I actually come out scot-free. I have like a little bruise or mm-hmm. like, I don't know if you saw the one recently in the purple shirt where I folded myself over a rail. Oh my God, dude. It's terrifying. It's only like five posts back for, for people who want to have a look. <laughs> Every time like I like get on Instagram and see this and it is one where you've posted a crash, it's either like 
I either look at the post and I'm like, well, that was impossible. I don't, I like, I don't know how he did that. And then it's not common, but when you do post the crash ones, I have like, I, <laughs> it's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> I think I'm more comfortable posting them because I have the, the luck of like, um, coming out, coming out of it, not too injured or kind of, I feel like the ratio of injury that I received for the crash that it was is usually lower. I've said so that the most, the most, uh, damaging thing that I've done is I crushed and dislocated my wrist, but what happened was I fell six meters. Uh, I was doing, <laughs> I'll go into the full story. So there's a, the longest parkour course that's ever been done as a competition. It was down Tianmen Sha mountain, which is the one with a big hole in the rock that somebody's, uh, wingsuited through. It's like a quite renowned mountain in China. And it is like 10,000 steps down or something ridiculous like that. It was taking people three minutes to complete the course all the way down. There's a slide in the middle of the course. Like this, it's just three minutes of down. And um, so I did the the first round of that, did it the fastest time uh, by 10 seconds, which is like a minute 40. So I was like, oh, I can go faster. And I got to the end of that course and just fell off the side of it and uh, smashed my face into the ground. So I fractured my cheek, but that was quite minor. But the wrist itself got completely destroyed. And if you see that fail, it's, um, I don't know, I don't know where you'd find, I guess it's on my YouTube channel. I fell off the world's largest parkour course. Um, <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, that, that's one of those ones that doesn't make sense. Like I, I literally hit the ground head and wrist first from six meters and Jeez. then just, uh, you know, laid there for a couple of seconds and then got up and walked, walked away, which is, I don't know. I like, I don't know how that happened. People, my friends that were there were like, dude, if that was me, I'd be in a coma. So yeah. I don't, I don't, you know, there is kind of a fortunate side of things where I've just, you know, been lucky with the hits that I've had. And that's, that's the worst one. I think I fractured my foot on a front flip down 25 stairs. D- which is, yeah. So that, the, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry. This now I'm just fanboying <laughs> out. So I apologize. But like, I don't know if I would call that sort of your most iconic are we calling that one a run or a stunt or it's a front flip, just simply a front flip. It's just a, a jump. it's just a front yeah. flip. But I mean, there's something so elemental about that clip. I mean, it's it's impossible like it to normal people, like your friend. To normal people, that's like, well, that's impossible. And um I don't know, talk talk and I, I know you did talk a little bit about that that you you just said, "Yeah, I kind of injured my ankle a little bit on this, but like the rest of us trying that. And this is, again, when I said at the top of the show, like when I'm like, this has to put, this has to put Dom, what he's doing, at least in the conversation among the best athletes out there. And, you know, you quickly said like, look, I'd get destroyed in an MMA ring, but every MMA fighter who tried to like front flip down that stair set would be dead. <laughs> so, I never really thought about it on the flip side like yeah, that. Yeah. So yeah, you you might not die in the MMA ring. They're probably going to die or be paralyzed if they try to do your stuff. Yeah, true. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Even one of my like my teammates, um Team Farang is the the team that I yeah. uh, work and work and shoot with and Jason, one of my teammates, he said, "I don't I think I would last about a week if I had to do everything that you do. Like if I had to mm. eat what you eat, jump what you jump." train like you train. I think I'd be mm. dead within like six days, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I was like, no, it's, it's, it's just, 
I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I, like for me, it doesn't feel irregular. It feels like I'm just doing what other people are doing with their huh. thing. Um, but I'm just doing it with my thing. Uh, the, the stair jump was, uh, like we just saw that it was like the most iconic skateboarding jump that had been done. Um, yeah. Aaron Jaws, Homoki, he, 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 incredible. Like he did like 12 times. People are like, Oh, you front flipped it once. The skateboarder did it like 12 times hmm. and he failed 11 of them. He tore his MCL and ACL and then went back three years later and did it another 11 times. Like hmm. that's, that's some next, that's like why I'm like, Oh yeah, I did the front flip and I fractured my foot. But that guy like did it 11 times. That's incredible. And someone's done it on a scooter now and someone's done it on a bike. But I think the, the thing that makes it more translatable is if you don't do skateboarding or BMX or scootering, it's harder to relate on how difficult it is to land that incredibly huge jump. Yeah. Right. But when you've got your feet and you're standing at the top of 25 stairs and you're looking all the way down there, you kind of get it. It's more relatable. It's more digestible. You're like, ah, oh, I don't want to do that. Cause I know what my feet feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was the longest, uh, injury as well. Like three, three months to get back to like doing shit. Hmm. Um, which was hard, but also because of like, it being like the top, like you said, one of the most prevalent things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was a really big personal achievement. Like it's one of the scariest, biggest front flips I've done. Um, and it was all concrete. There's no, yeah. no soft surfaces around. Um, so cause of that, um, I, you know, was a little bit more comforted during my injury period and just motivated to get back to there as well. Now. Okay. I'm going to call you out now, I think. When you're back talking about like, oh yeah, you know, you just start on safe stuff and work your way up. I'm I'm a bad example though. <laughs> this is why <laughs> I, like, gonna... I don't like to be called a role model is because I, I am like monkey. I'm like, don't do as I say. Uh, don't do as I do, do as I do say. Do as I say. Yeah. Because I was like, there is no safe way to practice for that. Or at least, I mean, I guess you could start hucking yourself up into a, a lake or something. Yeah, but like I started on sand. Okay. Um, I just started doing front flips onto the sand, learning how to roll, roll out, control my head position and my spotting and timing. And then I would move to grass and I did, you know, probably about five to six years of, of big grass front flips. And then during that time progressed to a little bit bigger for concrete. And then I went all the way up to like, I think it was seven or eight years. In, no, nine or 10 years into my training, I did my biggest front flip onto concrete, which is five meters over the top rail straight down. So it's essentially jumping off like a five meter platform into water, but a front yeah. flip onto con- onto <laughs> concrete. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I like from there kind of eased off the intensity of the concrete ones because I feel like that's you're playing with such a smaller margin of error there. You can, you know, like with the Leon one, you can break your feet. You can, yeah. Uh, I've heard of people like um, rupturing their shoulder because they came in, like they didn't take it on their feet enough and they came in and jammed their shoulder into the ground. Wow. So I like do do my, you know, fair share of concrete ones here and there. But I think if you're doing bigger, safer ones, you want to do just 10,000 replicas on soft surface, on grass. Even like hard grass is much more forgiving than concrete. And then because you've done those hundreds upon hundreds of like, um, another good quote from my teammate is I think you've done more front flips than you have taken a piss. So when you've done that, then you've done enough preparation to go to Leon 25 and go, okay, yeah, I can do a front flip off there. Yeah. Yeah. So 
the landing. And I, by the way, I was just watching that, that your biggest concrete jump. Like, I think I watched that about 30 times the other day. Is this the sort of thing, like if, if this will never happen, but let's say I was like, Dom, take me to that space. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And you get to tell me like one or two or three tips is this the sort of thing where you're like, okay, well, listen, you're an idiot for doing this because you don't have my background in training, but if you're going to do it, here's the top one, two or three things to keep in mind. Or is it more like, nah, man, you just have to have been doing this for a lifetime and it's more of an innate intuitive thing. Uh, oof, oof, what a good question. Um, <laughs> I feel like, so it's, it's a two part answer. One, if you haven't been doing physical training, if you haven't done parkour before, I'd be like, bro, don't do it. You just, there's no way that you're going to do this safely. Like I wouldn't advise jumping between two walls at head height, let alone, you know, 25 foot up in the air. Because the, the, the thing about that that surprises people is actually the mental part. You could be a very physically able young person and know how to jump. But as soon as you step up to a 25 foot wall and want to jump this little tiny gap across it, your legs start to shake, your body starts to be overcome by fear and your mind starts to take control. And that's the real issue there is that if you don't have the training, then your body's going to seize up and do something weird and then you're going to get hurt. Because if you hesitate, you're in more trouble than if you fully commit. Um, and then when if, say, for example, you've been training for a few years, maybe you've been training two, three years and you come to Leon, you're like, hey, I want to do this front flip. I would say, okay, you need to go away and do the X amount of work. You need to, like, I'm not going to tell you no because you want to do this. I have some friends who I know want to do that front flip as well. And I think they'll do it without breaking their foot eventually, for sure. For sure. But um, it's like, I just need to know that you've done X amount of work. That you're not just doing this because, oh, check out this cool front flip. It's like, you need to, <laughs> you need to have done the groundwork for something like this because it's totally unsafe if you haven't. Um, but my, the three tips I would give to them is, uh, make sure your, your kick out timing is perfect. So that when you, you dive, uh, you don't, don't rotate too fast. Um, that's probably number one, because if you go for like a normal front flip rotation, you're going to overshoot it and then you'll land on your front, not your feet. <laughs> you'll do one and a half and kind of slap the ground, which happens quite a lot. Like I've seen that happen from time to time as one of the regular bales, they just overshoot the timing. So kick out is the second thing because you need to be able to place your feet down where you want to place your feet down. Uh, a front flip I was doing yesterday, I had a space of like, probably like a, a cubic meter, like a square meter. Um, and if I landed on one side, I hit a rock. And if I land on the other side, I hit my foot in the ditch. So it's, it's like, you have to know where you're landing with the timing of the kick outs for rotation. So those ones, and also just practice, 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 practice. That's like the one thing I, can't stress enough to people that want to do anything is do do it to the point where it's not a thought you need to be able to do these things like so you can be thinking about other things while you're doing it um uh that's like the main if you can have them in the pocket then you you'll have them forever like there's certain moves that i that are difficult but i've just done them enough times that like landing flipping and landing on a wall you can't do that straight away. You have to go and practice landing on a marker on the ground. But once once you've done it and once you have that, that skill doesn't go away because you know how far, like you kind of gain this intuition of how far you're going to flip and where your feet are going to land. So you can then 
escalate that skill and start practicing that skill with more confidence. But it really is like, it's unbelievable to watch like any good free runner, the, the ability to modulate this stuff in the air and just kind of feather and, and, and just land in exactly where you have to land or you're screwed. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just not, it's not something that comes up. I don't think in many, many, many athletics. Um, it's so, yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, um, you see it a bit in gymnastics, but it's all to the, the, the one obstacle. And I think that's the other drawing factor is it's the singularity of other sports, the specific, the specificity. Whereas with parkour and free running, it's like taking, you can take influence from breakdancing. We've got one athlete who's excelling, who's taking a huge influence from skiing. So all of his flips Hmm. are off axis and grabs. They're not even conventional flips, but they look amazing because Hmm. he's stylized that influence in. And so, uh, with free running, it's like the different variety of ledges that you are landing on when you do these things and the different control that it takes from different angles and jumps and that sort of thing. It is quite unique to the sport. Yeah. What other sports do you find yourself kind of most fascinated by or maybe kind of watching for sort of inspiration? Um, I mean, you mentioned skate skateboarding. Would that be one of them? Or <laughs> I, I love the skateboarding culture, but I can't skateboard for, to save my life. Like, I, Why? That <laughs> seems this... crazy. I, you should right? be like... You're, are you saying like you've never really spent the time or you're saying like I've tried it and I just don't feel like I have a natural ability here? Uh, I've tried it and I don't feel like I have a natural I think <laughs> I don't have the patience. It's one of those sports. So with parkour, you don't have the same fail rate that you do with skating. You don't. Yeah. You can pick your challenges easier. So you don't have to start with ollie. You can start yeah. with rolling on the floor. And an ollie, like I spent two weeks on the grass learning to ollie and then try to translate it to the road, and I could not do it. Like, I just don't have the hand-eye foot coordination whatsoever for that, which is weird. Um, But uh, that was one of the only things sport-wise that I found I've not tacked to. Pretty much everything else that I've picked up is is quite natural or normal. Like, even surfing was fine. Um, I grew up doing surfing. But, yeah, the skateboard. The skateboard. Just (laughs) can't do it. (laughs) Huh. All right. It's foreign to me, but I love the the culture and I love watching the way they create media and videos and the the history of skateboarding really fascinates me. Super Um, cool. Yeah, because they have a kind of similar ethos and like-minded community to parkour um, in many ways. It's it's very uh, cool to watch the way they they go about things. Um, I'd say other than that, uh, I'm not hugely into watching many other sports. I'm a bit of a parkour nerd where i just sit on sit on parkour videos even ones from like 2009 i'll just go back and watch those um there's more of like a depthy cultural history with the youtube videos that kind of create this nostalgia and feeling when i used to get when i wanted to go out training but i enjoy doing pretty much any sport like you know i'll play cricket i'll play soccer i'll you know go running but i just uh at this time everything else has kind of fallen off to the side and I'm very like blinkers on parkour. Super random question. What do you think would be your best track and field event? And I've got, I've got guesses here. I've actually got guesses, but I'm curious what you'd come up with. Mm. 
I'm just trying to think when, like, when I was younger and I actually did athletics, what what did I excel at? <laughs> when you um, used to do athletics yeah, as opposed yeah. to what think, you do now. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, triple jump. Triple jump would be one where due to the, the loading and the explosivity yep. uh, that's, that I've received in training now, something that I could probably do better at is triple jump. But I'm also not an incredibly explosive athlete. I'd probably be better at something like steeplechase or like 1500 on the track. Interesting. Yeah. My my top 3. I went I was uh I didn't dedicate too long thinking about this. So like, you know, bef- but uh <laughs> my number 1 was actually triple jump. Mm-hmm. Uh so we we're in agreement on that one. Um yeah. I number 2, I was like I bet this dude would be super good at pole vaulting. Oh, I mean, I've never tried. I've never never That's, held a pole vault. So what if you no what idea. if you were like the best pole vaulter of all time, you just haven't tried it yet? <laughs> I don't right? know those guys those guys are pretty incredible man some of the stuff I see that they do like I, I don't know I, it, it baffles me to even to think about it like, <laughs> launch myself up a pole like uh, yeah and then my the number three I was like I don't know maybe third would be high jump but you're you're I, it's still kind of bizarre but you're like oh, I'm not that explosive of an athlete so comparatively we, so it's, comparatively. it's like when you, yeah when you put it to the high jump it's like there's people in our sport that would be heaps good at high jump because they have this like raw explosive pop to their jump like it's almost like a cartoon like some people come to the sport and they can just jump much further than everybody else um because of their power to weight ratio their genetics whatever it may be so i'd say there's people in the sport who are more tacked for those things like high jump but unless there was like a sport where it's like take all the impact in your legs then I don't know if I'd yeah. excel because <laughs> I'm more of an impact guy, like uh, loading and um, almost, yeah, yeah, like like powerlifting I think would be something that my body would work well for as well hmm. um, because it's just got a, the, the, the base to build from as opposed to having heaps of excessive power but not enough strength underneath. So like are you, speaking of training, like, are you spending time like in a squat rack these days or is no. training, <laughs> training is, training is doing, um, training is, is doing parkour. Yeah. I, um, I used to, especially for the first five years was a lot more based on body weight conditioning, strength and conditioning and, uh, like, uh, the core fundamentals of like, um, repetition of movement. So doing very basic things, you know, 50 to hundred times per session uh, to implement that kind of, uh, long-term baseline in your body. But now, um, I do just the training, just the hard shit, and then a lot of stretching and recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed, uh, over the last like three to five years had to ramp up the amount that I'm doing when it comes to mobility, recovery, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you're an old man now. I mean, about to turn. I know, right? Bloody right? age, bloody age. Well, <laughs> don't, don't don't feel it, but uh, apparently that's the way it is. So yeah, I have to kind of stay on top of it. So you talked early in this conversation about one of the things you love about free running is just this wide open horizon of progression, you know, and your ability to. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a blank slate, right? Everything is in front of you. Everything is theoretically possible. I'm curious, like, and here I'm going to ask you to like, take off your humility cap and put on your like accuracy cap. I thought it would be interesting to ask you about like, 
as you sort of take stock of where you are, you know, today as a free runner, how you would sort of define some of your particular strengths and some of the areas that are most interesting to you in terms of like where to improve and where to make those progressions. <laughs> All right, I, I think it'll be a little specific to do within this within the uh, the techniques of the sport that I that I answer everything just because that's where my mind as is at with training. Um, okay, I'll take the uh, non non humility statement would be I yep. think I can front flip off higher than anybody else consistently in the world. That's hmm. like do I can do a front flip off a higher height and land on a harder ground like more than anyone else. Probably, but there's probably some freak out there who can do it. You know, there's so many people in the world. <laughs> there are a lot of people um, in the world. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's hard to say that. I just feel silly saying it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess for me, the, the skills that I have, um, are like mental toughness, grit. So, uh, the ability to kind of, uh, push over that mental barrier. Um, a lot of physical training from ice skating. So just general, like an overwhelming amount of training, be it balance, strength, mobility, yeah. um, just from years and years of doing intense amount of sport, um, which really helped when I came into parkour because that base was so essential to the style of movement that I was doing. I can take impact. So like my, my knees and my ankles are very, very good. Uh, but then on the flip side of that, I would say my core and upper body is the thing that needs the most work. That's why my, uh, higher level tricks on as, as consistent. And, uh, when people say to me, why don't you go on Ninja Warrior? I'm like, cause I'd fall off on the first climbing challenge. My, my grip strength is, 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 especially since that wrist injury, it really went down. Um, and then I kind of haven't applied myself mainly due to lack of self-discipline to getting it back to like, you know, that Supreme level. I'm like comfortable with where it's at. I'm like, I can catch a wall. I can climb up. Cool. But I'm hmm. should put more into that upper body side of things but it's just so hard who likes doing push-ups and pull-ups when you could jump and just like <laughs> front flip off stuff yeah. yeah right it requires way less arms yeah. to swing them huh so all right here's another kind of weird question i was thinking about you mentioned team farang mm -hmm. and i was thinking about like i wonder how dom Again, you've got your accuracy hat on. We threw the humility hat away. So this you can just this is all my fault, right? Like for these questions. But um so thinking about Pasha or or Jason Paul, like how do you think about like let's say if you're looking at Pasha or Jason, you're like, "Man, it is so cool how dialed they are in this particular area." I mean, yeah, Pasha and I uh two completely different animals doing the yeah. exact same thing. Like, um, <laughs> he is much more creative. His, the way he trains is much more like, um, controlled and like th thought out or playful, I guess. So he'll, he'll go to a session and he'll work on one move for an hour. Whereas if I worked on something for 20 minutes, I'd be so bored. Like I gave up on a challenge yesterday simply because I've been doing it for 15 minutes. <laughs> it's like uh, it's, my friend was like uh, don't you want to do it again I'm like nah I'm bored <laughs> it's wasted it's, I'm getting tired of this because <laughs> uh, I just don't have the same uh, discipline but then you know Jason himself is again a completely different animal because he's like this this is what makes Jason special is that he is really really high level at pretty much everything in the sport 
there's not a lot of like so he can play with everybody at at their strengths you know um not to the extent of being the top of the field and like so he can't front flip up the same height as me but he can do big front flips yeah you know what i mean and then then like he he's got bar work he's got flow he's got um you know really good parkour fundamentals and he's also got this really developed eye for media and the way to put parkour out there um so there's there's different things that i've also like when i hang out with these people i try to just soak it all in like a sponge yeah um jason was my mentor as far as like how i was framing my parkour career for a very long time um because i would just kind of follow suit of what he was setting the example of doing um and it was working (laughs) uh and then yeah I, I, I couldn't even begin to describe to you how Pasha works. He's just a <laughs> mystical unicorn to me. He uh, huh. he has a like overdeveloped awareness of the social media aspect of things, but then also is just a creative, like humble, hardworking person. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't even I don't even know. It's such a different like uh, mindset and attitude, but creating the same thing. So yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's cool to be around for sure. So. One of the things, again, I think if if people are are checking out your social media channels or Pasha's, right, um, there can be an element of like, wow, that's impossible. I don't even like know how you get started sort of making an inroads into this sport. Like it seems like there is maybe an inherent intimidation factor. Um, and I guess I just was curious. I mean, I think that could be true too if all you did was watch the highest level of skateboarding or the highest level of skiing or snowboarding or something like that. But I don't know. It seems like a little bit the highest level of free running is maybe just everything feels a little bit dialed up. Um, do you agree with that? Or what are what are your thoughts or how does it actually work in terms of people coming into the sort of free running community and getting started? Well, uh <laughs> In my opinion, and the thing that's kind of probably kept me with parkour other than the, the love of the, the actual jumps is the community value. Um, we have probably one of the most uh, accepting and globally connected communities um, in, in any sport that I've ever seen. And there is no sense of discouragement. Uh, like there, if you want to if you want to get out there and you want to learn parkour, Find someone in your local area or nearby or a local gym that does do parkour and you'll be overwhelmingly surprised at how uh, welcome you are no matter what background or what kind of ethos or what kind of energy you're bringing into the space. Like we, we're all accepting and we just want to see people progress. And so due to that love and support, I've kind of stayed with the sport and also tried to be a big part in keeping them all together the community itself uh we have like a lot of people who do different roles in different aspects to kind of keep the community going and keep the community alive like if yeah getting out into parkour itself in the lower levels uh what makes it different to i guess any other sport is that i would train with you if it was your first day of training Mm -hmm. i'm not like Mm. bias about the level of practitioner that i train with so even even Pasha is the same. Any high la- high level parkour and free running athlete, if you're doing parkour and free running, most likely you're going to be able to train together. We'll be able to show you things about like basic things to get over the wall, basic things to enhance whatever you're doing. Um, but we'll still be able to train together, which makes it super unique and super interesting to me because 
I had people way outside my skill level when I was starting training with me and pushing me to do more and, you know, also being able to encourage me or help me along the journey of progression because they've been in that state before. And then on the flip side of that now, being able to kind of pass down the messages and um, core fundamental things that I've learned from my training into the younger guys, especially when it comes to fear building and stuff like that. And then we have jams, events, communities, uh, sorry, not community, jams, events, and uh, competitions hmm. with uh, like, you know, high level athletes will all come from all across the globe and compete together uh, to, and, and during that you have this kind of level bump where all of the people who are high level and all pushing are going to push the sport forwards. And yeah, like, so one of the steps that I guess I've taken, uh, with, with trying to keep everyone connected is my partner and I started a website to jam easy, mm-hmm. which is to kind of catalog all the jams from around the world because parkour being a bunch of unorganized guys who like wearing baggy clothes, nobody had, uh, really set up a platform for, uh, all of the events under one, one place. So my partner and I spent the last three months of last year cataloging, finding out all the information, contacting all the gyms and uh, getting that down. So now if you're listening to this and you want to find out about local parkour and community, uh, local parkour communities or facilities, head over to two jam mm-hmm. and it's all under one banner there. So you can find all the information you need. Very cool. And I mean, that, Hearing you talk about like the the welcoming nature of the free running community, that actually does really line up. I mean, that's the thing you hear time and time again with people who get into ultra running and like, you know, ultra trail running, that it's so much about the community. And so honestly, I, I'm... Uh, I, I wasn't quite sure what that dyna- dynamic was like in terms of free running, but it sounds like there's kind of a maybe shared similarly welcoming in a yeah yeah in a similar way to trail running uh it's it's recognized that you're on your own journey yeah uh and you're on your own battle regardless of what that is uh where you're at with that you don't have to be the fastest you don't have to be the slowest you can be doing your own journey you can be running with people could be doing it socially um but the general idea is that you're on a path of progression and so everyone that is part of that community wants to help you with that yeah pretty good yeah, so very similar to running and funnily enough from what i've heard uh <laughs> through uh, the joe rogan podcast funnily similar to the comic the comic industry that they have like a lot of kind of i would for, for lack of a better term a lot of uh misguided weirdos hmm. who are just doing their own thing and um somehow form this beautiful community of like-minded individuals who uh yeah are there for each other yeah that's really interesting so it's kind of like Ultra running and co- and comics, yeah. The comedian club. It's that's pretty good. Um, I want to let you get going. Um, so maybe as we start to wrap this up, um, I ask you, what's next? I mean, where where are you heading with this? What are, what's kind of on your radar? Uh, so for me, with all of the kind of experience and all the amazing opportunity I've had with parkour and free running. I would now like to see if I can take that across to film and and television. Yeah. Uh, I grew up, as I said, doing performing arts and I studied acting and as a a young man, I guess my aspirations were to be an actor until I kind of 
discovered parkour, fell in love with it and realized that I could just do what I wanted every day. <laughs> um, but I do have a very strong passion for media and uh, film itself and would love to be able to kind of now take parkour itself and maybe put, put that over more into the mainstream audience more regularly at the actual high level that it is as opposed to what you see commonly, which is just someone who's kind of learned how to do it before or a stuntman who doesn't have specific training in it who will fill in for that. So mm. I'd love to be more of a specialist in film and even going through so that jumps and movements make sense, you know what I mean? Like, uh, what's the word? Continuity of, of the action. Huh. So hang on. So are we talking about like, like on the one hand, you know, I was like, how how would you not be cast like if they were to do a remake of the matrix or something right like but are what you talking about sort of doing stunt work in like a james bond movie or are what you describing is no like an actual film that is sort of more about free running you know specifically as a topic but like let's let's say start with a and move to b so <laughs> okay. fair enough getting it getting into to films doing parkour and, and uh doing acting work as well because i am quite pa- passionate about acting itself yeah um doing that stuff would be the ideal but eventually moving to something like you said like jackie chan yeah where the movie is about the stunts and the the interaction and the physical side of things uh, enhancing the storyline. Uh, I would love to move down that track. Uh, Pasha and a friend of mine, Damian Walters hmm. just finished working on a movie called school fight movie. Um, if you guys want to look that up, that that's something very interesting that's coming out and it's grown from basically stunt and free runners only really, uh, influence. So it's going to be very, very high level action film with a lot of cool physical and, uh, special effects stunts. So I take it, I mean, just to make sure I'm tracking like your point here, this is a little bit like if we watch a movie and there's like a basketball scene and you're like, wow, those guys definitely don't know how to play basketball. Like that's terrible technique. And so that's what you're kind of seeing when you're seeing sort of these stunts or action sequences. You're like, Jesus, that's not how you would do that. Yes. And, and also like, uh, I guess it is with like most industries, you know, like a, if a soldier watches a war movie, yeah. like, it's not like that. Yeah. Um, with this one, it's a little bit more translatable because you're not just trying to, there is enough there to wow the audience now you know, you don't need the certain like distortion of reality with the jumps and the wire work for certain things. Um, you know, being able to, to still give the audience the, the wow factor or that super feeling without having to fake it would yeah. be something that I think is way more translatable to the audience and also possibly better for the 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 filming side of it, the production company. If you don't have to come up with all these things to stage it, you can pretty much film it raw and just put a wire on that person for safety, hmm. not to, to lift them or rig them, you know what I mean? Then uh, I feel like it would be better on production and you'd come up with better result at the end as well. It's really interesting. Well, hey, this... Uh this has been fantastic. Um, like I said, you're somebody I've been interested in connecting with for a long time and, and get a chance to ask just some of my, some of my dumb questions. Uh, so yeah, like let's just remind everybody because if, again, if they haven't already while listening to this conversation, I want them to set aside like four hours 
to just go now watch <laughs> some of the stuff we've been talking about. So tell people where um, they can they can find you doing your thing. Uh, so you can have a good scroll through Instagram. It's at domtomato, D-O-M-T-O-M-A-T-O. And uh, that's basically where you're going to find like uh, the day-to-day action that I'm doing. And if you want to find a more in-depth behind the jumps, you can go over to the YouTube channel, same name, Dom Tomato. And uh, that's pretty much my two vices of where you'll find me online. And if you comment on Instagram, comment on YouTube, you're most likely to get a reply as <laughs> I kind of do my interactions like that because I very much feel like the community that supports this thing is what makes it happen. And uh, keep your eyes out for a film coming out later in the year called Twist. Uh, I did uh, parkour and acting for that that movie that's coming out in the opening scene. So uh, that's very exciting. I'm not sure exactly when the dates are coming, but um, keep your eyes out for that. Are we thinking that's sort of later portion of 2020? Ideally, I think it'll be later portion of 2020, depending on what happens with production. Okay. As far as I know, the the last news I have is uh, late 2020. Got it. Dom, this was fun. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. And uh, stay healthy. And uh, I don't know how yeah, you do, but you. good luck with everything. Yeah, thank you. And um, I, hopefully, we can do this again sometime down the line. But uh, just keep doing what you're doing, and it's it's so amazing and interesting. And what you're up to is just one of those things I look forward to in terms of just seeing like this is what human beings can do, you know? And and (laughs) sometimes it's really fun to listen to like a theoretical physicist, like do their thing Mm -hmm. and break down the universe. Yeah. And then it's just all in this really interesting spectrum of like human possibilities and capabilities. And so honestly, like it's been really fun um, getting to watch you do all of this and, and super fun to get to talk to you about it too. Thanks man. Same to you. I hopefully we can do it again soon. Awesome. All right, man, you take care. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Many thanks to Dom for the conversation. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would subscribe to Off the Couch wherever you get your podcasts. Share this episode with your friends and leave us a nice rating or review in iTunes. We appreciate it. I also want to thank Jared Farley for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Crested Butte, Colorado, we really, truly hope that you are doing well. And until next time, please be safe. Please take good care of yourself and everyone else. Please keep moving forward. And we will talk to you again next week.